Well, I got hiking and about halfway up that mountain, it just started to absolutely pour down rain. It was thundering. It was a bad storm. There were times when the lightning was so bright that it was white in front of me. And there were times that the thunder was so loud, I dropped down to my knees. Uh, my hair was standing up at one point. It was a scary storm. It's one of the most scared I have ever been in my life. But I still remember thinking at one point to myself, oh, this is still better than a day at a retail job. Episode 185, an Appalachian Trail flashback with Liam Cremens. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Hey all, it's Travis. All of our summer schedules are crazy this time of year and I have to go out of town at the last minute. So I hope you don't mind, but this episode is a rerun of my interview with Liam Cremens from May of last year. Liam talks about through hiking the Appalachian Trail and his experiences on it. He also tells us of his hopes of one day drifting down the Mississippi River hop fin style on a hand-built log raft. I hope your summer is going great and now on to the show. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is sponsored by BiotropicLabs.com, custom formulators and sports performance supplements for active people like you. Designed for everyone from weekend warriors and outdoor enthusiasts to high-level athletes, if your body moves, you need Biotropic. First of all, we got to get this out of the way. You guys have trail names, right? Yes. What's your trail name and how'd you get it? Uh, my trail name is Snarf. Snarf. Uh, um, one of the guys that I was hiking with early on in the trail was named Good Deeds. And he was always talking about wanting a snack. I need a snack. <laughs> and to be honest, it kind of got a little bit annoying. And so whenever he said that, I would always say something back to him. Oh, a Snarf snack, eh? And after that, it kind of got known that I like to eat. And I ate a one-pound hamburger in every state, so Snarf stuck. That's hilarious. Now, remind me. I know Snarf the name. I know. I remember watching the show. What was it? Thundercats. Thundercats. That's right. That's hilarious. Yep. Wow. And actually, I had a Thundercats wristband that I wore as well after I got the name. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> right on. Well, I don't know if you want me to call you Snarf or not. <laughs> we'll leave that one alone. <laughs> right on. All right, do me a favor and take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself and what got you into through hiking. Yeah, um, my name is Liam Cremens. Grew up in East Tennessee, uh, about an hour and a half, two hours from the AT. In 2009, my buddy Patrick Kimmons and I wanted to go on this backcountry adventure, kind of into the woods sort of thing, and we picked the AT. Uh, since it was pretty close to home, we did a weekend out there. Uh, I think it was a three-day weekend. We ended up passing one thru-hiker, and I just remember being like, this is incredible. This guy is going to walk from Georgia to Maine. I want to do that. You know, I, I love being outside, and I want to go hang out out there. And uh, so it had always been in the back of my head since then. And I guess three years later, I went out to do a month. And ended up quitting my job, finding somebody to take over the lease of my house, finding somebody to watch my dog, and 
basically decided I'm going to be a through hiker and I'm going to do the whole thing until I'm either not having fun or just don't want to do it anymore. Uh, that's great. Yeah. One of the questions I was going to ask you is, uh, had you done any hiking on the Appalachian trail before deciding to actually through hike the whole thing? And if you had gone with anybody else, but it sounds like you guys set out and just to explore the Appalachian trail a little bit, but really got caught up in the idea of doing the whole thing. That's awesome. Definitely. How long do you train for something like this? I mean, the, this is almost 2,200 miles, right? I mean, this, yeah. I imagine you got to do quite a bit of training to get yourself conditioned to, to last that long. Yeah. Um, I actually am an active person year round, monthly, daily. Um, for example, this week I had soccer on Monday, yoga on Tuesday, kickball on Wednesdays. I'm going climbing this weekend. I just got back from a paddleboarding trip. So just being active in general kind of helped me to get in shape, but I didn't really do any serious training for it. Really? Yep. So what, I mean, my, I guess my, the first thing that comes to my mind is my feet. You know, I mean, I guess if you're just constantly on your feet doing activities on a daily basis, it's, it's enough, you'd say? Um, yeah. And I was actually working retail at the time. So I was on my feet 40 hours a week, um, at work, not including being at home, running around, doing these sports and other things. So I was on my feet pretty much all day, every day. So that made it pretty easy to go out and be on my feet all day, every day on a hike. Wow. That's impressive to be able to just kind of launch out there without any doing any specific training for it. Well, I also wasn't expecting to be out there for the whole time. I was just expecting to go out for a month, do what I could. And then I really just fell in love with it and didn't want to stop. So what drives you to be a through hiker rather than a section hiker? So that was a mental question that I had for myself a lot while I was hiking. When I was out there, when I first started, everyone was asking if I was a through hiker, if I was attempting a through hike. And I wasn't. I was just going as far as I could in a month. And the more I thought about it, going back to working in a retail job, um, leaving these friends that I had made and thinking the rest of the summer, man, all those guys are still hiking the AT. I could be out there with them. I just didn't want to stop. The community is wonderful. The, the views are great. If you like camping and hiking and don't mind being a little bit dirty, why not be out there for, you know, four and a half, five months? Yeah, I think uh I think probably part of the problem is you got to go more than a week, you know, yeah. at a time. So you you delve into it, you're in there for for four weeks, something like that, some extended period of time. The hardest thing to do is to pull yourself off the trail. Right. And I'd made it all the way to Hot Springs, North Carolina, um, I think in like two weeks and two and a half. I think it might have been three weeks, but I made it all the way there and was like I I've made it this far. I don't want to stop. You know, I want to see how far I can go. Right. Yeah. There's no, no, uh, nothing like getting that far and then having to turn around. And exactly. Pack it in. That sucks. <laughs> so now you lived in Colorado at the time you did, you did it in 2012. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So how did the altitude, was that a, I mean, that's a pretty nice benefit to at least. I, I would say that, that definitely, uh, counted as part of my quote unquote training. Uh, being on my feet and playing sports and being active the al in at altitude uh, definitely made a difference. Yeah, and you actually can breathe down there. Now, the highest point, I think, is something like 6,400 feet, right? The yeah, Clingman's Dome uh, is the highest point. 
right on the North Carolina Tennessee border, and I think it's like sixty five. Okay. How about a story of an awesome experience that really got you hooked? I mean, I know you mentioned you already brought up coming across the through hiker on the trail and you're thinking, wow, this is a, this is a pretty cool thing to do. Is there something else that just really got you latched on to the idea? Um, early on, one of the first people I met was Thor and we went probably a hundred miles hiking with each other almost every day. And we went into town one day and he'd never had a s'more before. And he and I made these huge fires every night and we just didn't mind collecting firewood and didn't mind working a little bit more to have a nice fire. And when I heard that he'd never had a s'more before, I was like, oh man, I've got to do this. And I'll never forget him having his first s'more uh, right outside of town. He had his first s'more and that really, that was one of those experiences where you really connected with someone and that, that personal connection, that uh, sense of community really drove me to want to continue to do it. <laughs> That's cool. So you delivered a sm- uh, first s'more to somebody and you, you made a connection. Everybody connects over s'mores. Yeah, exactly. How can you not? <laughs> um, what kind of gear do you go out with? Obviously, you got to stay as light as you can. So what what about special gear? Imagine you don't take a tent. What do you use for shelter? And do you use water filters? or? So on that through hike, I was completely unprepared. <laughs> I knew about the lightweight stuff, but I couldn't afford it. And so I had a two-person tent. I had a four-and-a-half-pound backpack. Um, I think at one point in Maine, I was carrying three pairs of shoes and like three wooden spoons that I had made. But I'd just gotten so used to my stuff being heavy that it didn't bother me. And so I, you just sort of get used to it. And the more I got used to it, the more I could do. Wow. So that wasn't an ultralight trip, but... I, I wouldn't even call, call it a light trip, actually. But in August of this year, my girlfriend, Dog, and I are going to hike the Colorado Trail. And so I've been working to get my pack weight under 20 pounds. And I've been really researching gear and getting new gear and looking into stuff. And she's getting all her stuff. So it's been a lot of fun realizing how much different my AT through hike could have been. Yeah, no doubt. Now you know how bad it could be, but I mean, the cool thing is you actually lasted. That's a, so what do you think your pack was when you did it? Um, I think my base weight was around 25, 26 pounds. And then with food, shoot water, there were days where I was probably close to 40 pounds. Wow. Coming out of town with a 10 day resupply and full water early on, you know, 35 pounds was normal coming out of town. You get a small kid on your back at that point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so did you go uh, south to north or north to south? Uh, I went south to north. Okay. So I started in Georgia. So you went south to north, and by the time you got to Maine, you still had three pairs of shoes on you? Actually, no. I picked up a pair of Chacos in Maine because I wanted them to uh, <laughs> rivers and stuff. And I love Chacos, so I didn't want to get rid of them. So at one point I had three pairs of shoes. <laughs> That's great. <coughs> I bet you don't take three pairs of shoes on the the uh, Colorado Trail. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. What about any weight saving tricks? As you've worked on lightening your pack, what things do you do? Bring, don't bring. You know what? What have you learned from your first through hike? Um. Well, I've learned that you can either be comfortable while you're hiking or comfortable while you're camping. 
And being both is going to be expensive or you're going to have to get creative and kind of make your own stuff or tweak objects and just sort of make it work for you to have the lightest weight thing that can do multiple jobs right. and yet still be comfortable. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So I uh, I assume you elect if you had to pick one of the two to be comfortable while hiking? Um, Or is the rest worth it all? <laughs> no, no, it's definitely not worth it all. I, I would say being comfortable while hiking is slightly more important to me than being comfortable while camping. For example, my girlfriend just got a three-inch uh, Big Agnes air mattress that weighs like six ounces, which is awesome. Wow. And I'm still using my Z-Lite, which is just a foam pad, but it's a little bit lighter and I'm comfortable with it. So it works for me. Right. So it's not the first thing you're going to swap out, but someday you, you might you finally get one over. Yeah, maybe. I might get a new player one day, but we'll see. I'm pretty happy with the foam pad. <laughs> That's good. So what about a, uh, a story about something that didn't quite go right on the trail? <laughs> uh, there's so many. Um, I guess I could tell you about uh, Pond Mountain in Tennessee. Um, I was hiking on a sprained ankle, and it was starting to feel kind of bad. And there was a hostel right near Irwin, Tennessee, and I didn't go to it. I decided I'm going to keep going. I'm going to go past this. I'm going to go over, over this mountain, around the lake, into that shelter. Well, I got hiking, and about halfway up that mountain, it just started to absolutely pour down rain. And it was thundering. It was a bad storm. There were times when the lightning was so bright that it was white in front of me. And there were times that the thunder was so loud, I dropped down to my knees uh, my hair was standing up at one point. It was scary storm. Wow. It's one of the most scared I have ever been in my life. But I still remember thinking at one point to myself, oh, this is still better than a day at a retail job. <laughs> yeah. So that was happening and my boots were soaked with water and I finally get to the top of this mountain and it just doesn't let up, doesn't let up. So I'm running on the top of this mountain for, I think it's a mile and a half on the top of Pond Mountain. And I finally get down and it's still raining and it starts to let up a little bit and then it starts raining some more. And it's just one of those wet days. Everything's wet. Uh, my pack cover luckily worked. So none of my stuff in my pack got wet, but I finally made it into the shelter and there wasn't anybody there. And I was tired. I was wet. I was hungry and I got out my lighter and it didn't work. <laughs> I got out my other lighter and it didn't work. And I had some matches up in the top of my pack and I was like, man, if these are wet, I'm, I'm not even going to eat. I'm just going to go to bed and give up. And uh, I looked down at the shelter floor and I saw a guy who had wrote his name on the journal that was down there. And it said Tarzan was here or something like that. And I knew Tarzan and that kind of lifted my spirits a little bit. And I was like, all right, this match is going to work. <laughs> and I struck it and it worked and got my dinner going and finally about to get my water boiling and my gas went out. So I was almost boiled but my gas went out uh, before i could finish and i didn't have another gas can and i just figured well that's as warm as it's gonna get so i poured it in my food and ate it and went to bed and my sleeping bag was a little bit wet but even now that being one of my worst days on the trail i look back and smile about it yeah that make that's what makes for the good stories though exactly had everything gone well there it wouldn't have been a story worth telling right yeah yep and maybe it's worth getting a striker. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've since looked into some Zippos, but those don't do don't really seem to work either. So, oh yeah, <laughs> so might be a good thing to look into. It's always uh, always good to have a backup plan. Oh yeah, or two. <laughs> Biotropic is a biological sports performance booster supplement created by Craig Dinkle, an Olympic trials athlete, to help him train at higher levels more efficiently in order to gain a competitive edge. All natural and safe, Biotropic packs your body with the highest grade quality of the B-Sweet vitamins, offers blood support, higher oxygen-carrying capabilities, an ATP booster, and vasodilation, which delivers more healthy blood content to hardworking muscles. Craig has the credentials to back it up. He twice qualified for the Olympic trials, set four NCAA records, and earned 23 All-Americans. Today, he uses biotropics to help him train in the gym, scramble up mountains, and to prepare for a six-month through-hike of the Continental Divide Trail. Athletes and exercise enthusiasts, check out Biotropic at biotropiclabs.com, where our listeners can get a deep discount by using the code ADVENTURE. Have you heard of the SIOI Iris 4G Action Camera? It's Adventure Sports' first always-connected camera using mobile 4G LTE networks. Push a single button and you kick off a live stream to your friends, family, and fans so they can join you on your crazy adventures. See for yourself how it works. Visit live.sioi.com and sign up for free. Follow some of their professional mountain bikers, skimboarders, motocross riders, and of course adventurers and join in on the fun as it happens. That's live.sioeye.com. So what would you say the most demanding part of the Appalachian Trail is? Um, I wouldn't say it's physically demanding as it is mentally demanding. I think staying positive, which is a huge thing if you're going to take on something like that, is probably the most demanding aspect of a through hike. Because if you don't stay positive, you're not going to want to be out there. You're not going to be having fun. And if you're not having fun, what's the point of being there? Right. Right. So I think staying positive is definitely one of the hardest things. That's good. So on average, how many miles would you say you put in on a on a given day? Um, throughout the whole trip, I averaged 17 miles a day. But recently, I've been going through my journals and my blog and my pictures and writing down how many miles I hiked each day who I hiked with, what I saw that was kind of neat, where I ended up camping that night. And it's kind of sporadic, to be honest with you. I'd say the majority of my days are around 18 to 20 miles, but there's a zero, there's a 30, there's a 14, there's a 0.8, you know. So I averaged 17 throughout the entire trip, but from day to day, it was quite sporadic. Now, is that because you have uh, up days and down days or it's more you kind of dawdle in an area because of the, the views that you're getting type stuff? It wasn't quite that. It was more uh, terrain. If there are four mountains I have to go over today, I'm not going to do a 30-mile day. Right. That slows you uh, down. <laughs> yeah. Or if I'm you know five miles outside of a town, I'm going to go into town. But if I'm 30 miles outside of a town, I'm going to do 27 that way I have an easy morning into town the next day. So it kind of depends on where you are. So what is the 
along the trail itself, what is your favorite piece of it? Ooh, I really liked the hundred mile wilderness in Maine. I really liked Mahusik Notch coming out of the White Mountains. Uh, those were probably my two favorites. Roan Mountain through Tennessee was also really nice. I mean, honestly, I could go on for days. I loved it all. That's why I stayed out there. But those are the ones that stick out in my head. Right. So are you heading back to it any anytime soon, or are you just going to do some other? I know you have uh, – have you done the Pacific Coast Trail yet? I have not. It's on my radar. Yeah, so I'd imagine uh, you'd probably do that first, right? I, yeah, I would like to do the PCT or CDT before doing another AT through hike. But I actually went back home to Knoxville in November – to see my parents and my brother and took my girlfriend and we all went on a day hike on the AT and it was great just to be back where we were. Cause I remembered what I was doing and who was with me and it was just good to be back out there. Of the three of those, what would you suggest people start out on? If they had the opportunity to go, you know, one end of the country to the other and they were interesting in making an attempt as a through hiker, which one should they try first? Um, I would say the AT first. And I mean, you could do the Colorado Trail or the John Muir Trail or the Long Trail. Um, there are lots of shorter trails that would be better. But if you're going to dive into a long distance through hike across America, the AT is going to be uh, your best option because there are so many people near the AT. There are areas where it's remote, but there are more towns, there are more roads, there are more people in general in that part of the country. So that's probably going to be a little bit, quote unquote, easier. No through hikes easy, but right. um, that one, you're a little bit closer to civilization. Okay. Even more than the Pacific Coast Trail? Um, from what I've read and heard, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know much about it. Of course, I saw the movie Wild and, you know, like everybody else and got the, the bug that that, uh, that makes me think I would want to try it someday. How I would get five months off, I have no idea. But <laughs> every time I talk to you, one, one of you guys, uh, you kind of give me the bug to, to go out and do it. It'd be neat. Maybe I'll retire rich someday. There you go. Take me with you. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, so how about any projects in the works anything you're you have on the plate that you're kind of thinking about doing yeah um like i said my girlfriend and i are doing the colorado trail this summer but what we originally were looking at doing was building some sort of raft and floating down the mississippi kind of huck finn style that's always been a dream of mine i guess just to go on an adventure and i really like the idea of being on a river it sounds like less work than hiking <laughs> right that's awesome. So how would you do it? You just go up to the, the the widest point, you know, that you can actually insert a raft in and come down, or would you start, you know, in a, a bigger part of the river, part of, part of the way down? Or When we were looking at starting, we were going up to Minnesota and starting, I think, in Minneapolis. Um, I didn't really look into it a whole lot. It seemed like there was a lot of logistics and test and technical stuff to figure out, and uh, another through-hike just seemed a little bit easier for the moment, but our, my plan in my head anyway, was to get some old pontoons, uh, build a raft above that with some four by eights and some two by fours and a little shelter on top, a small motor on the back to get through the locks. And in case there was a barge or a giant 
catfish we had to get out of the way of. <laughs> right. Um, and go up to Minnesota and just sort of take our time and float or use one of those long poles or oars or a sail and just sort of make our way down depending on how much time we had. Um, and recently we've thought about picking up trash along the way and doing some sort of river cleanup, maybe a bag a day, um, just to kind of raise awareness for how filthy people are leaving rivers and parks and roadsides, honestly. Yeah. I think you should do that. I think if you put, uh, some sort of, uh, um, Indiegogo or Kickstarter campaign together. I bet you get some support for that. I know I'd chip in for that. That's uh, uh, I think it's an awesome idea. That'd be awesome. We'd love to do it. And I think the uh, picking up trash could actually get some national attention as well, which who knows what that could lead to. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You get some cities involved and uh, maybe even call GoPro up and see if they'll, uh, they'll give you a camera or two and film that thing. I think a lot of people enjoy seeing that. Oh, yeah, I agree. Back, you'll have to keep in touch. If you ever do that, I want you back on the podcast to tell us all about it. I'd love to be back. <laughs> right on. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection, as well as updates on all of their events. This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180tack.com. In preparation for weather on the Appalachian Trail, is it can it vary quite a bit? Or are you pretty much dealing with hot and muggy and then just less hot and muggy? No, the weather's I mean, you're in the woods for four and a half months. It's it's weather, you know. We got drought, we got snowed on. I think at one point in Vermont we had twenty one out of twenty four days of rain. Um we had areas that didn't have any rain. We had hail. We had it all. So you're going to see all the weather. Uh, I've been telling my girlfriend that you're going to be wet at some point on this trip daily. 
Uh, and what I mean by that is it's going to rain or you're going to be sweating every single day. Yeah. One way or another, you're going to deal with it, right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. I do know the East coast. I, uh, I grew up on the East coast in Connecticut and it was, everything was just humid and it wasn't yeah. nearly as bad up there as it could be down in, in Georgia. But, uh, but yeah, it's plenty humid. Yeah. I was in Georgia in March. So I kind of lucked out with the weather there. We didn't get any, anything bad at all, really not even through the Smokies, just sort of you know, occasional rain, occasional, occasional hail, a little bit of snow every now and then, but nothing bad. So how would you say people that were interested in taking up through hiking as a hobby, how would you say it's a, a benefit to them? Why would you encourage it? Um, I would encourage it because it connects you to nature. It lets you kind of get away from your responsibilities, even if they're menial responsibilities, you know, making your bed, uh, turning in homework, um, going to the same job every day. It lets you get out and live. It, it, it's just, it's awesome. The community's supportive around you. Um, there aren't many other places where you can quit your job and go out and do something like this for four or five, six months. And everybody around you is going to be doing the same thing. It's going to be supportive. Yeah, I imagine the feeling of accomplishments got to be really, really high uh, to get out there and and do twenty two hundred miles, you know, and and by yourself, or you know, you might be with somebody, but you're still generally by yourself like that uh, for five months. It's got to be fantastic. It, it's wonderful, and I I think it's very humbling as well because you realize you can't rely on other people all the time, but those times when you do need to rely on other people you have to rely on them wholeheartedly. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think you see a lot of that. You see a lot of people helping. I've read stories, uh, you know, coming across some of the areas and there's, there's uh food and coolers and snacks and stuff out there for you guys. And you don't know who dropped them off, but they're just there or somebody's uh helping hand. They were just being really nice and, and yeah. put that out for you. That's cool. It renews your faith in humanity for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's a good thing. So as we wrap it up, what kind of funny story might you have to share with us before you go? So I was hiking with um, three other hikers. One was named Yappy, one was named Bat, and one was named Orange Lightning. And I think I was in the back just sort of following along with my head down. And uh, Bat was in the front and he said to Orange Lightning, you go in front of me. I know there are rattlesnakes around here. Um, and I can't see very well, so I don't want to be in the front and walk up on a rattlesnake. Orange Lightning said, all right, I'll go in the front. And Yappy's behind them, yapping away as usual. And I'm behind her, just sort of hiking away, not really paying that much attention. we got three people in front of me. And all of a sudden, Yappy kind of yells. And everybody stops. And she says, Orange Lightning, did you not hear that rattle? And he said, well, no, I can't hear very well. She looks over and says, there's a rattlesnake on the side of the trail. So we got the deaf leading the blind. <laughs> it, it, it was just one of those situations where, how did this happen? You know, how did we get ourselves into this? But luckily, Yappy was paying attention. So uh, That's hilarious. <laughs> Not sure who to put in the front. At that yeah, point. right. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Liam, well, I appreciate you spending a little time with us on the Adventure Sports Podcast and discussing the Appalachian Trail. And like I said, uh, the more I hear about through hiking, the more it makes me want to go out there and, and give it my best. But thanks for visiting and, and talking about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. 
right. Take care. Bye.